Don't shop for car insurance until you hear this one secret. Every day, insurance companies adjust their rates for one reason or another. They are constantly adjusting the prices for coverage, which means today, Company A has the best rates. Tomorrow, Company B. It's just like buying an airline ticket. How can you possibly know which company is the best match for you on any given day? Easy. Call We Speak Insurance. With their patented technology, We Speak Insurance matches thousands of consumers with the top insurance companies in America. We Speak Insurance is continuously updating the insurance companies and their formulas. Call We Speak Insurance and you'll know which insurance company is the best match for you. If you've just received your renewal, you bought a new car or moved, We Speak Insurance will connect you with the best company for you. Today, get the best match whenever you shop for car insurance. Call We Speak Insurance. 855-901-5258 Welcome to the Bonafide Literary Show You have now been authenticated What is the single most widely used gadget on the planet? The answer, of course, is the mobile phone. This technology is currently used by more than 90% of Americans and by over 75% of the population worldwide. Has everyone around you fallen under the spell of their cell? In Dumb Phones and the Idiots Who Use Them, author Phil Brown provides readers with a series of entertaining stories regarding cell phone use while offering an opportunity to evaluate how we use these amazing devices. Inside Dumb Phones and the Idiots Who Use Them, you will read hilarious essays about Epic Cell Phone Fails Sexting Disasters Embarrassing Autocorrect Messages Butt Dialing Mishaps Absurd Apps And so much more. The cell phone revolutionized the way we connect and conduct business, changing the very manner in which we live but at what cost? Read the book to determine if you or a loved one is affected by the epidemic and laugh along with others who are suffering the consequences of cellular dependency. Dumb Phones and the Idiots Who Use Them is a humorous yet honest look at the phenomenon of the mobile phone industry and the people who are consumed by wireless communication. Dumb Phones and the Idiots Who Use Them by Phil Brown is available on Amazon.com. A boy is about to jump from a window. His whole life flashes before his eyes. His dreams, his encounters with sex, his discovery that he is different. While meeting friends, he falls in love with music, alcohol, bullying, and hiding in lies and self-denial. Living in a gray city, he hides like a pearl in an oyster, mixing reality, dreams, life, and fantasies. Letters come from his future from a club in London about his great love with a mysterious person my dear, will he make it? Will he run away to his freedom? With dark scenes and bright colors, honest prose as well as poems and songs, The Road to London, described by reviewers as a modern-day classic, profoundly original, compelling, and hypnotic, is a book like you've never read, funny and poignant at the same time. A Cry for Freedom, The Road to London, touches your heart, changes you, opens your eyes on what it means to be different. 
available worldwide on Amazon and all online stores in Kindle and paperback. The Road to London by Adriano Bulla simply cannot be forgotten. The Road to London, proud to be different. No matter what your past says about you, remember, it's okay not to be perfect. Jody and her mother are best friends. But just as Jody is prepared to head off to college, her mother is diagnosed with cancer and suddenly dies. Saddened and feeling alone, Jody ventures off to her new world without the support and guidance of her best friend. When Jody meets Dax, her heart is conflicted. She no longer feels alone and unloved. Their romance quickly gives way to passion, and Jody makes a decision that will change her life forever. With college now a distant memory, a new baby to care for, and a partner who doesn't understand her, will Jody find the happiness she ultimately dreams about? Will she live up to her mother's wishes for her life? Or will fear and uncertainties undermine her search for happiness? Get Thorns and Roses by Tim Templer on Amazon.com. Welcome, friends, to the Bonafide Literary Show. I'm your host, Deidre Huey, the eroticist and author of Drama Princess. This is episode nine of season three. Guess who's here with me tonight? It's Aphrodite Antoine, and she writes books for kids. She is going to tell you and me about her book, Jack and the Red Bean Sock, on this installment of Diverse Authors and Books. You can find other episodes of the Butterfly Literary Show, of course, here on blogtalkradio.com on the Avid Reader Nation page. We are on Sundays at 5.30 p.m. Eastern, live. Call 818-495-6960 to listen to us by phone or jump on your device and listen to us online. The show is also archived on blogtalkradio.com, iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and now YouTube. It's always free to subscribe so you won't miss the next author interview or video episode because, as always, I'm giving you something new, challenging, and exciting, so share with your friends who love to read. They'll thank you later, so don't be stingy. Sharing is caring. Now, Episode 10 of Season 3 of the Bonafide Literary Show won't come until April 12th. Mr. Clever Black will be here to read to us from his amazing Holland Family Saga. You don't know about him? I don't believe you. If it's true, you know you must be new. I haven't heard one bad word about his writing yet. Same thing with Adrian Nikolai, and he'll be reading on Outskirts Science Fiction Theater April 4th. So you have something for me to hear while I'm away from the Bonafide Literary Show for one week. Don't forget to come by the book tea, too. It's on Thursdays at 3 p.m. Eastern on this same page you're listening to. But you want to hear about some books for the kitties tonight, don't you? A mother of two African-American boys, Aphrodite Antoine, noticed a lack of diversity in the choices she could make and what her children read. That's when she set out to write her own books. In the books written by Aphrodite Antoine, children grow and learn heritage across cultures. Understanding the need and demand for positive images for children through literature, Aphrodite wrote Jack and the Red Beanstalk. In her grown-up life, Aphrodite works in public health and is from New Orleans, living in the Seattle area. Continuing her theme of taking the classics and making them into new multicultural classics, Aphrodite's latest book, Talisha Snow White and Her Little Munchkins, 
concretes a drive to give all children, regardless of color, the magic of imaginative adventure. Hello, Aphrodite. Hey, how are you? I'm good. I'm over here chuckling up a storm at myself because <laughs> I mispronounced your name wrong about 50 times. Oh, my God. That is perfectly okay. Most people do no. it, so don't <laughs> uh, It's not okay because I hate when someone gives me an extra R in my name and my last name turns into all types of wackiness. So say your name correctly for them, please. It's Aphrodite. Okay. All right. So... Tell us about Jack and the Red Beanstalk and what makes Jack in this book unique. Well, um, Jack and the Red Beanstalk is book one of a four-story series being released under the Newbie Tales uh, division of for the Heritage Collection. And Jack and the Red Beanstalk really is a reinterpretation and reimagination of the classic Jack and the Beanstalk. Um, it takes or borrows all of these elements from Africana and from these different and various cultures um, in Africa and also in African-American history, um, and, and it puts them all together in a fun and exciting way so that African-American children and, and, and general, children in general um, can, know, know, can know more about what it means to be culturally diverse. Very nice. I like that. I really do. I think it's totally cute. I was like, Jack and the Red Beanstalk, that intrigued me. I don't have little ones anymore. So I'm like, what is this book about? Yeah, absolutely. And and I tried to find elements in the African-American culture that, that a lot of people could relate to. And my husband actually is from New Orleans. And a staple in New Orleans cuisine is red beans and rice. And yes. we thought together, my son and I, as as we, my son and I actually, we kind of wrote this together, um, which was fun and exciting in and of itself. Um, we thought about how much he hates red beans and rice. <laughs> <laughs> and so we wanted to incorporate red beans and rice into this story, and, and we did so successfully, I would say. Oh, my God. What's wrong with that kid? He doesn't like red beans and rice. Oh, oh. What in the world is wrong with him? <laughs> I don't know what's wrong with him, but goodness gracious, he acts like I'm killing him when I ask him to keep red beans in the rice. What? Hopefully he'll grow that. You know how boys are when they're small. They don't like certain stuff until they get pretty Absolutely. grown, like in their 30s or something. <laughs> and the red bean actually plays a prominent role in the story. Um, in the story, mm-hmm. there's a, a relationship being on display between a grandparent and a child. And in the African-American community, the incorporation of grandparents as providers, as caregivers, as as central to family dynamics is huge. And I wanted mm-hmm. to be able to reflect that in the story. Um, so in the story, there's a red bean that is eventually going to be passed down from grandfather to son, and it's this, this magical red bean but through uh, Jack's, as a result of Jack's inquisitiveness, he, he sneaks and he, he, he gets uh, Grandpa's red beans and accidentally it falls into a pot of red beans and rice that Mom is making for dinner. Um, and, and because Jack hates red beans and rice so much, he decides to throw them out in the garden. But surprisingly, the, the magical red bean was on his plate. 
And it was uh, subsequently the red bean that was thrown out into the garden, which sprouted this huge red beanstalk <laughs> that allowed him to go to this place called Hela, um, which is uh, which which literally means the air um, mm-hmm. from uh, from his home. And there he encounters brooding giants who want to come back down to earth, but we call it in 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 our story Kawanja which means um, the earth or the playground, um, to wreak havoc. So uh, very exciting to see this this book and this story come to play. It sounds so cute. I'm over here. I mean, I mean, uh, I'm enamored right now, thinking about Aww. the fact that you come with you came up with this book. Oh, thank you. you well, I, can't I, I can't say that I did it by myself. It was really influenced by my son. Um, he he served as the inspiration and also the impetus for for writing this series. Um, you know it's a funny story. People ask me all the time, well, what got you inspired to to write and to write stories like this? Um, aren't there mm-hmm. other books and other types of material out there? Is you know is there a lack of of reading material? And, and what I have to say is that my son is. Uh, one of only three African-Americans in his entire school. And Mm. um, one day, it's so funny, we were shopping, um, and he tells me, Mom, did you know that Indians are stupid? And and like many African-Americans, there is an element of Native American history and blood that runs through our veins. And so you can imagine how appalled I was when I heard Mm -hmm. him say that. And as I inquired more, into why he would think this way, he told me that he was reading, um, what is this book? It's uh, The Indian in the Cupboard. And Mm -hmm. uh, he told me that, you know, the Indian spoke in ways that were sort of foreign to him and and foreign to how we speak regularly. And the way in which the cowboy related to the Indian was one of, he treated him almost in an obsequious um, uh, sort of, almost a second-class sort of manner. And my son then began to equate uh, Native American heritage with that of being a second-class citizen, of being lowly, of of being different, of not being cowboy, for example. And it got me to thinking, well, if he thinks this way about Native Americans and and obviously indirectly about himself because he is or has Native American blood in him, what does he think about himself as an African-American, as being mm-hmm. only one of three African-Americans in his school. And so this book series really began as an opportunity for us to explore our own cultural heritage and to really mm-hmm. correct some of the misconceptions about our heritage that were constantly being fed by the media, by radio, by our friends. Um, so I'm really happy to, to, to see uh, my son develop and, and to see a greater appreciation for himself and also for his culture. So why did you choose to do the classics? Uh, Jack and the uh, Red Beanstalk is a modern touch on a classic, and then you're taking Snow White, which is Talisha, Snow White, and the Little Munchkins. So why did mm-hmm. you decide to do the classics first? Um, I, You know, that's a really funny question. Um, a lot of people call me lazy <laughs> because I really? chose to. It, yeah, yeah, but it, it this was definitely – this is something that, that requires a huge investment and, and you would not believe the amount of resistance that I've gotten from folks 
um, in, in trying to retell these tales. Um, I suppose that I decided to rewrite the classics, one, because they're the most obvious. Um, everybody knows about Jack and the Red Beanstalk. They know about Snow White. They know about Cinderella. Um, they know about Rapunzel. So it, it, was, it was something that, in terms of aligning um, images and imagery to um, a mass populace, it was something easy to do, I guess, in that regard. Um, and because it was the most visible, I think it was the most palatable for people. Um, uh-huh. I've discovered in talking about culture with other races, for example, it's a really tenuous subject and it's a really um, 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 delicate thing to handle. And so I wanted to find one of the most, I wanted to find a way to be non-intrusive, non-invasive, but welcoming um, when talking about race with not only children but adults. And for me, this series, and I, and I say this at the beginning of my books, this is not the solution to to uh, trying to correct misconceptions with race and culture and identity. This is meant uh-huh. as a conversation starter. Um, right. and, and it it should be used by parents, by caretakers, by caregivers to really think about new and emerging topics of race and culture with our children. Um, so it's meant, I guess, as a guide, as a starting place to talk about culture with kids. So I'm going to piggyback off what you just said. So my next question is, what is the significance of the names in your book, such as Talisha in your next book, and do you feel names could pose a barrier to readers outside of our culture, your culture, to picking it up for their child? Oh, or even inside goodness. the culture. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, it's so funny that you said that because um, names are hugely important when it comes to culture. Um, mm-hmm. Talisha in the, in the book literally means damsel arise. And so as readers go through the book, they will find that saying this person's name or saying Talisha Snow White's real name is what releases her from the curse of the wicked sorceress. And, um, you know, talking about the meaning of names, they, they really do tell us something about our history, about our family, and about our culture. And what I found is there's this belief that names in the African-American community are made up, um, but, but, but they aren't necessarily made up. There is a meaning, there is a purpose, there is a vision mm-hmm. behind name conventions. Um, and I think earlier in the show you, you, you had asked me, you know, how do you say your name and, and, and things like that. And my name, in fact, has meaning. Um, my mother named me after the Greek goddess Aphrodite, which is mm-hmm. the uh, Greek uh, goddess of love and beauty. And the reason why she did that was because she wanted black women to know specifically that they are beautiful and that there is wonder and beauty in African-American women. And so, too, is the same for thousands and hundreds of thousands of African-American children and mothers and fathers and caregivers who name their children. They name their children with a purpose and with a vision in life. Um, and so at the end of every book, there is a, an exercise, so to speak. So with Talisha Snow White, the focus of this exercise is on names. And it's asking children to consider their names consider the story or the meaning behind their name. 
what does their name mean? So this is an opportunity for parents to engage with their children and for parents to tell their children the story behind their name and why is their name special. I just want to say this for right now. I am really admiring you over here because when I get quiet like that, I'm just listening to you go on and on when I listen to my guests like that. And I just love a guest who can articulate the purpose and the meaning behind their books. It's not just a book to say, hey, I'm putting books out to make a lot of money. You're doing this for, you know, this is going to have longevity. This is going to leave a legacy and everything else. And I love the fact that you explained the name of this character so it's not just to – because a lot of people would name – I think they would name the character Talisha – to hit certain target audiences uh-huh. and uh-huh. to also kind of put a, a little shock value out there as well. But I like uh-huh. the fact that you are able to explain what your character's name means, and it also fits into the story of Snow White. So I applaud uh-huh. you, and I'm loving this interview so far. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. <laughs> and, and you said that there's – yeah, you said there's activities in the at the um, in the back of your books at the end. Yes, in every book there's an activity. There there are essentially two activities. So one deals with some uh, elements for discussion between caregiver and child or adult and child to explore some element of culture more deeply. Um, And the second um, um, activity, I guess you can say, would, you know, it would be like a crossword puzzle or some sort of uh, uh, some sort of fun activity for kids um, after they read the book, as, as sort of like a, a a trophy for them getting through the book. <laughs> I think it's cute. If I had still a little one at this time, I would be trying to get this little collection and keep up with everything you were doing and having my little kitties do that. So I think it's cool. Oh, awesome. Thank you so much. <laughs> so Jack and the Red Beanstalk, if y'all haven't seen it yet, it is very, it's a very vivid and illustration. It's a pretty book in my opinion. So explain mm-hmm. the process of getting your book illustrated because hiring a proficient illustrator from what I've been told by friends is a barrier most would be multicultural children's authors face. So how did you go about getting your book illustrated? Absolutely. One thing that I required was an illustrator of color because I wanted my illustrator to be able to relate with me um, with regard to certain cultural practices. Um, So I had scoured the Internet and and found um, illustrators that that I thought were talented and and, um, who I I, I admired their work. Um, And I was just so blessed and fortunate to, in both instances, be able to find illustrators of color, specifically African-American illustrators. And one very um, just, I guess it was almost shocking um, um, discovery that I made with one of my illustrators was that this person had never, they said that they had never drawn princesses who were black um, because they Mm. just couldn't, relate to a black princess and so that for me and for this for this illustrator in particular was was eye-opening and it really justified for us the need to to produce this work um but going back to to what you had asked before about um ensuring the relationship between illustrator and author um i require and, and this is the type a in me um a signed contract first of all that um includes 
key milestones associated with timelines. So I have a very deliverable-based approach to developing these illustrations. And we always Mm -hmm. start off with the illustrator reading the story. That is a requirement. And then the second thing is, based off our our deliverables, um, you create or they created for me concept art. And we both uh, went together through the concept art and we, I'm sorry, there's an airplane, it seems that it's going right over. (laughs) And we both uh, go over the concept art and, and we plan out essentially how this book will be laid out. Um, and it's essentially six figures and, and descriptions from the illustrator saying this is how this will happen. And then it goes into, I guess, like a penciling in or inking in phase where the six figures are much more detailed. And um, I approve all of those before moving on into the next phase. And then, excuse me, finally, it's the coloring in phase where after I've approved all of the, the penciled in images and we're all clear on where the direction is, the illustrator goes in and then adds color to the final images. And then we do a final review. Uh, we read it over. I pilot my books with, with key uh, trusted advisors. Um, and if there's any feedback, I give that to the illustrator and that feedback is incorporated into the final images. And voila, we have a book. Do you go to a job board or something like that to go and find your um, illustrators? No, 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 no job board. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to ask you this next question, and it has to do with the fact that you work in, you work in public health. So why okay. is it important? Because we already talked about this a little bit, but I want to touch on the aspect of not just black um, kids getting exposure to books with characters that look like them, but also Jewish kids, Latinos, mm-hmm. Asians, mm-hmm. whatever. Okay, so mm-hmm. you work in public health. So how does mm-hmm. reading and lack of visibility of multi, multiple cultures affect all of our kids? And, you know, why would it be even important, you know, for any child to see a different race in a book, a different culture? Absolutely. Well, Currently, our society is is made up of diverse communities, and we and you know, excuse the cliche, but we live in a really diverse world, and diversity is increasing and it's growing steadily. And in order to be competitive and competitive in our business world and in society, we need to be able to relate to those diverse communities and diverse audience and meet the needs um, in terms of products, in terms of uh, service offerings, in terms of programs of our communities if we want our communities to be healthy and happy. Um, And so it's important not only for black kids or African-American kids to read about um, African-American characters and cultures, but also for other kids and other cultures to to read about and be exposed to other cultures and other races and so forth and so on. and, and in terms of the need in the African-American community, we have this thing in public health called the life course perspective. And it's essentially mm-hmm. what your parents probably told you, as, as mine told me, if you start off good, you end off good. Um, and that's the basis of life course perspective. And it's those gains that are realized in education and also in health early on from preschool to kindergarten to 
third and fifth grade are translated into positive gains up until high school, college, and eventually into the job market. And we need positive reinforcement throughout a child's life or throughout the life course in order to realize those positive gains down the road. Um, and once a child who's gone through this life course becomes an adult and has children of their own, they then translate those values onto the child. And so the cycle continues over and over and over again. But the cycle requires positive reinforcement. And in our culture today, we don't necessarily have, in my opinion, and I don't have statistics on this, but <laughs> adequate um, on mass uh, uh, resources in terms of positive reinforcing uh, African American based characters in reading and in education. Um, and if we do, they don't necessarily have a mass appeal and they don't have positive meaning and positive purpose. Um, you, you probably know this, African-American children lag behind in terms of reading proficiency. Um, excuse me, I'm suffering from a cold. Um, from other races and from other ethnicities. And an element of this is reading engagement. They simply don't have the characters um, that speak to them, that resonate with them. And because of that, they are less likely to be engaged with reading material um, that helps to uh, expand their reading proficiency, right? Um, and so mm -hmm. this is reinforced throughout, going back to life course perspective, this is reinforced throughout childhood and maintained through adulthood and then eventually passed on to their children. And again, revisiting that cycle, it happens over and over and over again. Um, and reading proficiency is directly correlated to increased graduation rates, improved health outcomes, and higher earning potential. So it's important if uh, 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 cultural engagement, if racial engagement is a factor in reading proficiency, with ha which has all these other wonderful outcomes, it's important that we have characters of color and characters from other races available to children of diverse audiences from diverse backgrounds. Very good. I love your answers. Thank <laughs> <laughs> you. Um, that ties it. That tied in um, very nicely with a lot of the stuff you said earlier in the interview about development and everything else. So, one listener wanted to know. You touched on this a little bit as well already about how did you get into the mind of a child to write this book? You said your son helped as well. Oh, absolutely. For Jack and the and, Red and, Beans thought. And, and it probably helps that I think like a kid. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I, I, was, I was one person who grew up, and I love, uh, you know, the willow from the 80s. <laughs> and, the willow? And the legend. Yeah, yeah. There, there was this show. It was, it was, it was a, a community of dwarves, and um, the main character, his name was, his name was Willow. Um, so I love those kind of movies. I love the never-ending story. I'm enthralled by movies like Legend, um, uh, which is a 
the Tom Cruise movie, not the Will Smith movie, um, back in the mm-hmm. 80s. <laughs> okay. So it's always real uh, with a, a fancy for the phantasmal and for the the the, the otherworldly kind of thing. Um, and my son has that same sort of affinity, so we're we just sort of we're synergistic in that way. And um, he again, he really was the inspiration. Um, behind this book, and so um, we went back and forth with plot lines, and I tried to make it fun. He probably would say otherwise. He probably felt like he was my employee at that time, um, <laughs> but but he really was was integral to to creating this book. So, Jack and the Red Beanstalk has Swahili in it. You spoke on that. So, will you blend multiple languages in more of your books? Oh, absolutely. So in Talisha Snow White, we have um, Zulu, we have Spanish elements, uh, we have, uh, we, we talk about Akan principles. Um, what else do we have in there? We have Yoruba in there. So um, that was really exciting. And in the fourth book, so I've, I've written all four books, and I'm just, just trying to get the, the last two illustrated. Um, in the fourth book, it's it's a mix of cultures, and and. I did that intentionally because I've been getting emails from from our readers asking for um, representation from mixed, uh, racially mixed uh, families and and characters. So we have a huge um, Afro-Latin element in the fourth book, which is um, uh, based on Rapunzel. And we talk about politics and, 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 and how that translates into mobilizing communities around a central theme. Um, and, and, yes, so that one is full of Afro-Latin um, uh, elements and, and cultural references. And, and I was just so um, um, excited about having to, to write that because I learned so much about the African, African culture in South America, for example, that I didn't even know about. So it was, it was interesting. Mm-hmm. So newbietales.com, that's where you can find your publishing company, right? Yes, ma'am. Okay, and tell us what Newbie Tales does compared to traditional or conventional major publishers and how they choose or what's the difference between how they put out their multicultural children's books. Absolutely. So we are intentionally focused on bringing greater attention and awareness of authors and illustrators of color. And that is not only limited to the African-American community, but we accept um, submissions from all diverse communities. We want to hear about those diverse perspectives. And and I'm sure that you know and and your readers also know is that there is a growing rumbling, something percolating in the ethos, and there is a call uh, for, for more diverse content. And we want to be and we are becoming the premier um, producer of diverse content. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. That, that, that was one of those uh, pregnancy moments, I guess you can say. <laughs> oh, okay. I didn't know what happened. I was like, what? What happened over there? We got a flow. Oh, we got a kick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got. You, sometimes we got to jumpstart that for me. <laughs> uh, okay. 
one of those moments. Okay. Do you have anything with newbie tales coming out for teens? Because I think that market, as far as diverse books, is still wide open with, you know, a lot of opportunities for authors to reach, you know, teens and kids. You know, teens are uh-huh. still kids. And I definitely mm-hmm. want to see done other than urban or urban fantasy or just vampire books as far as teen books go. So do you have anything You're, planned for multicultural teens? You you are so right. Um, we do have a book coming out. Um, it, it, uh, it, it is for the teen burgeoning on adult market, and it's, it's a – it's been called, it's in pre-production, it's been called The New Coming of Sister Soldier. Um, and it's based on a teen's experience in foster care and, and what her life has turned out to, to be present. But um, with regard to our teen um, uh, division and our team offerings, I do admit that, that is, there is something to be, to be wanted in that area. So we do have a call out for submissions. If there are authors out there that have wonderful manuscripts um, that are targeting the teen audience, please feel free to submit those those manuscripts online um, or via email to us, either online at www.newbitales.com or by email to teamnubi, T-E-A-M-N-U-B-I, at newbytales.com. I'm wanting y'all out there that's listening to this to jump on that. <laughs> if you have something good, please put something out because when I go and look up, my, I have a son, he's 14, and whenever uh-huh. I want him to sit down and read because he struggles with reading, um, uh-huh. I always want him to have, because it's so hard to get because of the struggle, it's hard to get him to sit down and read something. So it has to be yeah. something that he would enjoy but when yeah. I go and get what's called multicultural teen books for a boy, what's suggested for a boy, because I've never been one, uh-huh. so, yeah. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> I always run into books that are set in, you know, the urban setting. The last one I got, it had a lot of cursing in it, and I don't yeah. need to add any more of that, um, you know, and, yeah. you know, wanting to do that. So that was a problem for me, and he didn't even like the book. He felt uncomfortable reading it, and – I just wish that there were more teen books for multicultural kids, black kids, whatever the case may be, Latino, that aren't just in the urban setting. You know, just a, uh, just a book for teens. You know, Absolutely. Just a, yeah, I just need that more. But oh, I'm Afro on it. Consider it done. Afro Dye, <laughs> I have a new segment I'm introducing today on the show. So tell me what you think of this, Okay. Okay. <laughs> What's new in literature today? Here's the bona fide literary news from around the publishing industry. Mark Coker, the founder of Smashwords, predicted in 2015 slow growth in publishing. Is there trouble for authors and publishers we should be shaking in our boots about? Mark noted that slow growth is due to a new equilibrium between print and ebook formats. Immortal ebooks published by publishers and indie authors alike that will never go out of print the continued growth of self-published titles, and an infinite supply of low-cost and free non-book alternatives competing for reader time, such as social media and internet videos and games. Hmm, should you re-strategize? Probably so, but what this forecast doesn't include is the end of the boom of self-publishing. 
In 2015, more writers will self-publish and they will still earn a higher share of royalties than traditionally published authors. And more large publishers will offer free ebooks. Even still, the free ebook loses its appeal for self-publishers. Looks like there will be more wide open lanes with much less traffic for authors in all genres. More self-published indie authors will quit publishing in 2015. Could the reason be money? If you guess yes, you're batting a thousand. Read more of Mark Coker's predictions on Huffington Post. This has been your Bonafide Literary News, what's new in literature today. Follow this segment and more from this podcast at www.bonafideliteraryshow.com. So what are your thoughts on that news? Yeah, you know, Mark has a really good point in that there is, in terms of the data, a steady decline in in. The, the amount of or the market share in terms of book publishing. He's absolutely right. But what we found in our analytics is that the, the communities that we're targeting are extremely loyal, um, loyal to brand and also uh, loyal to identity. So um, we are not in terms of we being newbie tales is not concerned with there being a lack of opportunity. In fact, we see boundless opportunity for us to grow. We are a dynamic and a flexible company, and we have strategically identified those opportunities to really guarantee and ensure our fiscal, financial, and operational success. Um, there, like, like the article said, there is a growth in the number of self-publishers or self-publishing individuals out there. Uh, however, you still need a publisher for some, um, if you don't have the expertise, experience, the time, um, or the resources to produce your book in order to produce the high-quality material. And that's what Newbie Tales here, is here for. We're here to fill a void, and we're here to ensure that there are high-quality products out there that speak directly to, to the community, um, to, that speak directly to diverse audiences, um, and that are useful in our communities. So we're not worried. <laughs> yeah, I didn't I didn't think you um should be. No. Yeah, because like I think the diversity is still pretty much wide open like I said before. So there's always opportunity for that right now. You know, Absolutely. for and not just um kids and teens books for adult books as well. So the Absolutely. diversity lane is still pretty much open. Yep, absolutely. And there's so many topics out there that in our community we don't talk about that Newbie Tales is is on the verge of of talking about and discovering. Um, It's about uh, delivering culturally competent programs in workplaces. We don't talk about that. We don't talk about uh, necessarily in book format about being the only person of color or the only woman or the only man in a female-dominated industry or the only um, LGBTQ person um, in a conservative area. We don't talk about those things, and those are things that, excuse me, Newbie Tells wants to explore. We don't talk about suicide or mental illness, and those are topics that um, Newbie Tells is, is currently engaging in releasing. So we're really excited about the future. Fantastic. So you talked about this a little bit earlier, so I wanted to get back on it again. And because I'm nosy, what has been the reception of your book, the true reception of your book? It has been surprisingly positive. I am just internally 
um, this is the way that I'm wired. I'm always skeptical. <laughs> and mm-hmm. it's sometimes it's me because I'm, I'm always thinking, well, will they like it? Will they like me? And so mm-hmm. when I when when I got the 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 overwhelming support from people to continue to do this work and continue to write and continue to promote authors and illustrators of color, I was I was almost surprised. Um, but but so far um, there has been some resistance. Um, <laughs> some folks have uh-huh. have questioned why we're doing this. Is this really needed? And to them, I can say yes. This is needed, and we will continue to do it as long as it's needed. Um, that came up on a um, episode of Outskirts Science Fiction Theater on this same Avid Reader Nation page a while ago. I think it was in December, one of my first episodes with that podcast. With um, I think I'm going to say his name right, Bolagoon Oja today. He's um, uh-huh. on an episode, and he talks about that backlash, and he got some similar questions because he does steam funk which is, uh-huh. um, I wouldn't want to say a black version of steampunk, but kind uh-huh. of sort of uh-huh. is, but he got that same re- uh, reception, him and his partner, um, Milton Davis, um, you know, asking, well, why would you want to do this? Are you trying to stir up trouble? Or are you trying uh-huh. to act like you're better than us? Or why would you want to do something like this? And he said, because oh, there's nothing that's, you know, targeting us and that would – you know, get the kind of characters out there that we want to see in books. You know, it's like it's fine that we have all these characters that's here, but we need other characters as well. So there's nothing wrong with that. Absolutely. And I have to always not only remind myself, but also remind others that the African-American community is not a homogeneous group. We are not all the same. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. so this, this idea that we can pigeonhole black folk, so to speak, into one area of, as, as was your experience in, in, in urban writing, for example, mm-hmm. in one aisle in the Target Lane where they have all the urban products, mm-hmm. um, it's it, it sort of, it, it's an injustice. And so um, like your, 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 um, your guest before and also like me, this is an opportunity for us to explore all facets of our community, all facets of our culture, and really to get mm-hmm. a more comprehensive understanding of what it means to be African-American or a member of any diverse community. Right. So how are you getting the word out about Jack and the Red Beanstalk and Talisha Snow White and the Little Munchkins? Oh, my goodness. We have a, a, a fairly comprehensive uh, marketing plan. <laughs> and so okay. we have relationships with all of the major distributors, um, and all of the major online and um, store retailers. So um, being able to uh, get in contact with him and develop those relationships was really integral to getting the word out. Um, we maximize to the fullest extent possible social media. Um, we use Facebook, we use Instagram, we use Twitter, um, and we do grassroots promotion and also some paid advertising through those outlets as well. We've also contacted or been in contact and developed relationships with key influencers such as yourself who have reached or who have extended reach into the community in order to mm-hmm. reach the community directly. So it's all about relationships for us. Okay. So how can listeners contact you and keep up with everything going on? Do you have a newsletter on NewbieTales.com? 
Absolutely. So uh, your readers and anyone who's interested can go on to www.newbytales.com and sign up to stay informed and up to date with what's going on with Newbie Tales. And we send out quarterly news newsletters to folks. And um, if you ever have a question, uh, folks can feel free to email us at teamnewbie at newbytales.com. Okay. Sounds great. Well, I want to thank you for stopping by the Bonafide Literary Show to talk to us, Aphrodite. I would love to have you on in the future and feature more of your books. Absolutely. I would love to do it. All right. Well, I'm going to let you and the baby go and enjoy the rest of y'all's day. (laughs) Thank you. And you do, too. You do the same. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. All right, don't forget the Bonafide Literary Show will be off next week. If you're missing me too much, listen to the last episode of the Bonafide Literary Show, or you can catch me, Deidre Huey, at the show's official website, www.bonafideliteraryshow.com, and subscribe for a new series of weekend posts to feed your book gluttony. Come back for the incomparable Clever Black on April 12th. Thank you for listening. Later.